So reframe is just helping you to say there are, there's one coin and uncertainty is definitely showing up, but it's the same. It's the, it's just one side of a coin and mm -hmm. possibility is on the other side. This is Exploring Leaders, episode 26, with INSEAD professor Nathan Furr and entrepreneur Susanna Furr. Nathan and Susanna will share their stories and how they found the upside on uncertainty, inspiring you to take responsible leadership in the digital age. Do you wonder how trailblazing leaders sense at scale, involve to innovate, and align the actions in this increasingly digital world? Welcome to the Exploring Leaders podcast. The experienced team at Degosian interviews leaders from around the world for insights and inspiration on how to lead in the digital age. In this episode, Degosian founder Lizalette Engstam, who is also an independent board chair and director, researcher, author, and advisor, asks the questions. Our guests today are the couple Susanna and Nathan Furr. Nathan is an innovation professor at INSEAD and Susanna, an experienced entrepreneur. They have researched, invented a framework, identified usable tools and written a book called The Upside of Uncertainty, a guide to finding possibility in the unknown. They advise and teach companies, leaders and boards on the concept of innovation and renewal. They are passionate about supporting companies and leaders to become more entrepreneurial and see the opportunities on the back of uncertainties. This episode focuses on their journey and insights and approaches they find useful for the top companies, leaders and boards. So warm welcome. Uh, the topic of today is uncertainty and uncertainty is really increasing. That's one thing we're certain of. <laughs> that it is increasing and it's increasing the challenge for us as persons and personal leaders, but also the way we lead companies and the way we lead our boards. So in this episode, we are going to talk to entrepreneur Susanna Hammond Farr. And we're also going to talk to the INSEAD professor, Nathan Farr. And you are actually a couple, so you have changed a bit and you're doing this together, which I think is also very interesting. Warm welcome, Susanna and Nathan. Thank you. So maybe I could actually ask with you sharing a bit about your backgrounds and what has taken you to where you are and what was the reason you decided to write, to do this research and write this book together. Do you want to start, Susanna? Sure. So my background is actually more art, art related. I did a master's in art history and I'm an entrepreneur, meaning that I've done several different companies. I started a clothing line actually at Stanford while Nathan was doing his PhD. And we had a couple small kids and we, we met as students actually. So I would say that our background is that we've always loved researching and ideas together. But most recently I wanted to join this topic that Nathan will explain more in a moment because 
everything in my life that I'm really proud of and that I'm excited about came after taking some risks and going into the unknown of uncertainty. So Right. Even just the fact that we live in Paris today and we're Americans who with big teenagers, even that a lot of people said, you're crazy to change school systems. And (laughs) we were living right close to my parents and a lot of my siblings. We had a really great setup, but we felt very called to do something more invigorating in our Mm. lives. And so I am so keen on helping other people figure out how to see uncertainty as truly just something that is that uh, an obstacle to getting to the possibility that will make our lives truly meaningful and exciting. That sounds fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And Nathan, do you want to share something about your background? Yeah. One thing, this work really emerges out of the last 20 years of interviewing innovators and designers and creators and realizing what Susanna hinted at, which is to do anything new, Mm. they all had to first face uncertainty. They had to take a risk. They had to step into the unknown. And the same is true for established companies that want new sources of growth, new opportunities. They have to take a risk. And that's a bit of a paradox for both us as individuals and as organizations, because that's something we're often uncomfortable with. And for me, I was just so curious because I'm not somebody who came to this world wired to love uncertainty. It stresses me out. I'm a little anxious in the face of uncertainty. So I wanted to learn how did these people get better at it? And Mm. could I use those tools to help me? And so Mm. that was really the genesis of the book was asking how do I as an individual and how do I help also leaders Mm. to get the tools to step into the unknown? Because we all want change and transformation and growth and possibility, but we can't get to that without realizing that possibility and uncertainty are really two sides. And we're also very risk averse, most of us. So I wanted to um, ask you, who of you are taking on what types of uncertainties and how do you complement each other? And how has that impacted your writing on the book? I think the fun thing is where Nathan has done so much of this academic, rigorous research and study and has had all of these opportunities to interview really incredible people who are making change. We've got that coming from Nathan. From me, I have been more of the one really willing to go out there and say, okay, so if we're going to go to France, how could we make it work and what would it look like? And I, I get really excited and I tend to have more of that learned optimism that's already baked into my personality. So I think that he also is willing to take risks. We talk about this actually in the book that everyone can know their own risk profile. And that's really important to being able to prepare yourself mm-hmm. to know what are your affinities. But in general, I tend to really not get st- stressed about things mm-hmm. that are unknown. Again, we've helped people figure out that actually that's something you can learn by just starting to practice. And so what I would say is writing this book has completely shifted the way we do change because now Nathan has strengthened that muscle. We talk mm-hmm. about it uncertainty ability. It really can be something you learn. And he's gotten way more facile with, with uncertainty. So it's fun because we both are getting to those frontiers uh, Mm. together. We're both looking for adjacent possibles in a way that he used to be more nervous about, but it's something that as you practice, you can grow your ability. Yeah. I think, I think from my perspective, obviously if left to my own devices, I probably would have written something just to leaders and organizations. But Susanna had this really crucial insight, which is being able to lead this really starts at an individual Mm -hmm. level first. And so 
the upside of uncertainty is really written first and foremost to individuals and secondarily to groups and to organizations, mm-hmm. because we need to build that uncertainty ability muscle personally to really lead it well. And I think that is so insightful. I think that in some ways we know it, but we don't bring it forward into all of the kind of planning and action that we're doing. So I think it's super interesting. And I have, I understand that you've drawn from many different disciplines like neuroscience and innovation and behavioral science. Can you say something about the science base that you have for the book? Yeah, absolutely. So when we first started looking into this question, we wanted to make sure if somebody else has a great answer out there, wonderful, let's grab that. And what we found is that there are a number of research-based literatures with names like uncertainty avoidance, ambiguity tolerance, resilience, and so forth in the subdomains of innovation, psychology, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, neuroscience, entrepreneurship. And what those literatures were very clear is that it, that people do differ in their ability, that people can learn to be better in the face of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And those who are who have learned this ability are better entrepreneurs, better leaders, more adaptive, all these great things. But what was very much missing was the how. And so like, how do I, and that's why I really want to know, I want to get better, so <laughs> teach me. And whenever it was possible, we did draw heavily on the literature that was available. So when we talk about uncertainty, we talk about four categories of things to do. And Mm. a lot of the research about how to take action or a lot of the tools about how to take action come from the research in innovation and entrepreneurship. But for the Mm. rest, we really had to rely on interviews with innovators, Nobel Prize winning scientists, creators, designers, and it turns out there's a lot, a lot of other people who face uncertainty, Invest startup investors and paramedics, and even, for example, people who struggle with dyslexia, which by the way, we now know is an evolutionary advantage for going into the unknown. But anyway, we draw very much on the empirical research and on the interviews to do that. I will let my husband and the kids, some of the kids that I have, that this is a treat that they have in dyslexia. In fact, we I already know that they are much better in certain things than I am. I can see that so clearly. So you mentioned something and maybe you can help explain that. And maybe Susanna, you can help explain This framework with these four dimensions, can you let us know a bit what those dimensions mean in an overall level before we drop into details? And why did you end up with these four dimensions? So I would love to. We call it the first aid cross for uncertainty. And so we knew that was an international symbol of help someone give me the tools I need to make change or to help myself. And so the first, the top, the North axis, you could say is the reframe. And it's all the tools that will be required for when you are struggling to see the value of going through something difficult that's unknown, whether you're choosing it or whether it's happening to you. So framing is just about how you perceive something and it will change how you think and act later. So reframe is just helping you to say there are, there's one coin and uncertainty is definitely showing up, but it's the same. It's the, it's just one side of a coin and possibility is on the other side. So all the reframing tools are really meant to encourage someone to stay around and get through that. Priming is on that left side. If you're looking at it, like face, face forward, 
and prime is really about preparing, but we chose the word prime because often before you can use something or do something, you have to prime it like mm -hmm. a wall. If you're painting, you put on that first coat to really make the finished project look better, or you prime a pump to get water flowing. So it's those preliminary. There are some action steps in it. It's not only cognitive, but when we were talking about risk and knowing what risks you're mm -hmm. good at, that would be a prime tool. And then on the same axis in the doing phase of facing uncertainty is do. And we just chose that word because it's, you know, there are the best way to get out of uncertainty is to start taking action, but you've got to do something, but how? And doing in these ways where you're more cognitively flexible, where you're thinking about how to stay wise, how not to be too rigid, and also even taking thinking that you have to go all in or take huge steps. We've, yeah. We really encourage small steps and pivots mm. and taking a lot of tries. And so doing things in a slightly different way than when you are certain of what your the arena is that you're dealing with. And then the South arm is to sustain yourself. So really about how do you continue through an uncertainty when it's going downhill, when it feels like either mm. you're stuck or you're failing and maybe it's feeling insurmountable. So those tools are specifically trying to help you feel encouraged and remember why you're doing it. You want to talk about why we chose that? Yeah. Again, there's over 30 plus tools. So that's a lot to remember. And what I would say is the categories are the key activities, reframe and sustain are more cognitive, prime and do are more action oriented. And then the individual tools themselves mm. are meant to help you actually get that done, mm. actually get the reframing done. Mm. And so that's really the emphasis and focus of why we did. And I think that's also very good because when you're sitting in meeting, you need to have something to hang it up on because otherwise you won't remember to bring it in. You will bring it in if you have pre-planned all of the details. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen, especially when you're in board meetings. And then it's very good to actually have some kind of frame or mental model to think back on. And I think the word reframe is super interesting. It's actually also something that Professor Ludo van der Heyden pointed out very early in our board work that one of the things that boards do, we get stuck. <laughs> so we really need help to rethink and look at things from different angles. You can check out more hints and tips in the blog post covering this podcast episode of Exploring Leaders at the Degotian blog, which you can find at degotian.com. So can you, I was thinking maybe we can go through one of them each and maybe you can highlight a tool or something that you would think would be good for a leader or a board member. And especially since a lot of our listeners are board members and chairs and haven't had the the luxury of actually getting tools to help handle uncertainty and then yeah. certainty is just decreasing. So maybe if we start with the reframe uh, and maybe Nathan, you want to start there what does it mean? And is there any tool you think could be valuable for a board member, either in personal capacity or in actually the board work even? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. First off, you mentioned reframing is based on a very well-established psychological mechanism known as framing, which very simply means the way we describe something shapes how we decide and act. 
Now, here's the dilemma. There's a very famous study by Kahneman and Tversky. They won the Nobel Prize for this work that showed something specific about human nature that's curious. And that is in their experiment, they gave people two treatments for a disease. One treatment had a 5% chance of success, the other a 95% chance of success. And even though those are statistically identical, we all prefer the 95% chance of success. Why? Because we are wired to be loss averse. We're afraid of loss and we're gain seeking. Now, when it comes to uncertainty, this creates a fundamental dilemma because uncertainty almost always presents to us as loss. That's why we want to avoid it and get out of it. But remember what Susanna said, uncertainty and possibility are two sides of the same coin. So if we can frame whatever is happening, the opportunity or the thing that's happened to us in terms of the possibility, it allows people to move forward with that gain mindset, that with courage and with excitement. So Great example. This is not a pandemic book. We started this a decade before, but the pandemic revealed some interesting framing effects. So there were some leaders I saw who framed the pandemic to their organizations by saying, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. This is worse than the Great Depression. And you know what? No surprise that the people in that organization really turned inward and were like really anxious and really wasting a lot of energy on unproductive things. Contrast that with leaders, like one of my favorite examples is Brian Chesky of Airbnb. Again, an industry incredibly hard hit by the pandemic, but what is his response? He frames it in terms of the opportunity. He says, this is our chance. This is our chance to show we're a great company and great companies are forged in moments of crisis. Mm. And by the way, there's great empirical research to support that like how an organization frames like a disruption whether it's a threat or an opportunity, they're much more effective when they frame it in terms of the opportunity. So that's like the core idea. Mm. In terms of what we write about in the book, we, we try to provide tools to help leaders mm. or individuals do mm. that. And like a great example is frontiers. So a frontier is a border zone between the known and the unknown. And we tend as individuals and organizations to be well back from that frontier. But innovators, they see the frontier as where they do their best work. Yeah. And, and it, let me put this in an organizational context. So at an individual level, actually, first, we could think about, am I on the frontier of any number of things, career, uh, relationship, intellectual frontier, emotional frontier, we could go on. But companies have this too. They have product frontier, customer frontier, employee frontiers. And we're not saying you should go on every frontier all at once, but sometimes you need to do that. You need to step on. We we spent some time with Hamish Taylor when he became CEO of the Eurostar. And at that time, the Eurostar train linking London and Paris was losing over 200 million euros a year. And there was a fire in the tunnel and they had no service. So he, they were in hot water, right? Uh, and then they, how do we recover from this? That was the question. And we, when they looked at the data, they could see we're really popular with business class travelers, but not with leisure class. And so they've mm-hmm. done all this marketing segmentation. They relaunched another campaign and it didn't have an effect. And Hamish Taylor said to us, it was only when we got on the frontier with our customer. That is, we put the marketing data in the drawer. We went out and we spent time with those customers. And it was when we were with them that we realized we're not in the business of selling train tickets. 
Hmm. That's not what we do because actually what's happening is potential customers saying, I've got an extra 200 pounds. Do I want to go to Harry Potter world or do I want to take the Eurostar? And he said, what we realized is we're actually in the business of selling Paris. So wow. how do we sell the experience, bundle it, for example, with tickets to go up and down the river on boats or whatever it may be. They said, when we did that, when we stepped onto the frontier with our customers, then we filled up the leisure class and we made the Eurostar able to make money and be sustainable. Can I add, what I think is interesting is by their ability of reframing it, then their mm -hmm. customers also reframed what they wanted to do because someone had shown them all of a sudden it was like, wait, we didn't even think that we could be right. going to Paris for the same amount of money. So it helps. It's contagious. Yeah. When, some, when a leader can reframe something, then other people can also reframe how they want to do their life. I think it's I think it's a wonderful example. And you're spot on to this thing. I'm, I'm always thinking back on the iPhone. How would you even imagine that? It's very hard, but when you get it, you figure out very quickly that you can use it for a lot of stuff. So it's very interesting that you need some breakthroughs somewhere and somebody needs to work on that. But when that happens, it takes a lot of ideas with it. It, the one thing I think is super interesting with board work is that most boards spend an humongous amount of time going through risk. And we have risk maps and risk profiles. The amount of time we spend on turning that around into opportunities is quite limited in most boards. And we could as well, of course, they do that in the operations, but there could be just as good guidance on the opportunity side as on the risk side. Yeah. Uh, so I just think that example is fantastic that you brought out so that people can start to find their ways. Yeah. And I want to, since we are thinking about board members, I want to acknowledge that there are some things that we want to think about in terms of risk. Nobody we're not saying we'll embrace uncertainty in the factory when people are at risk of getting hurt with life and limb, is it? We're not saying that, but there are other situations like a great example of this is think about what a thorny problem climate change is. And it's really so many parts and pieces and systems, but there's a woman, her name is Dr. Ayanna Johnson. She's a biologist. And what she likes to ask is what could happen if we got this right? And she finds when she asks that question on panels, People have rarely actually thought through, well, what would it like to get this right and to execute on that? And as humans, we're actually drawn towards that. We're more excited by the vision of what the possibility could look like if we got it right than we are by all the risk and the doom yeah. and gloom. But we don't spend time on it. Yeah, we don't. So, so like I would, you said. Yeah, yeah, so as board members, we want you to spend time on what would it look like if we got this right? Because right. that's what would truly motivate people and stakeholders and employees and customers. I think it's a great prime into a strategy session. Yeah. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was going to say one last tool that I think would be brilliant for board members would be this idea of the uncertainty manifesto, which is the last tool we discuss, where along these lines of focusing maybe on trying to control and force and be worried about the risky stuff, uncertainty manifesto reminds us that there are goals or visions for the company that are often maybe too external. So there's internal goals. So that meaning what could this company really be and maybe forcing it too much when in reality, there's also 
things that are in our control and things that are entirely out of our control. Mm -hmm. And I think as a board to really look at, hey, because that's a very in in control position for the most part, but there are still going to be things that are well beyond the control of what's happening out in the world, for instance. There's going to be all these other factors. And so it's really cool to get very clear and realize what is within our control and what are we pushing through and right. maybe what things are we leaving behind that actually we have a, we could make happen and we're just not paying attention to. Great example. Really great example. Maybe you want to help us through the prime thing. What can we do in prime? What does that mean? And any tools you think would be? Useful. There's so many great ones. I think so, the knowing risks. Yeah, yeah. So first off, what is Prime about? It's really about this idea that you can prepare yourself or your organization in advance. And we use the Prime, the word is really, you think about how you prime a wall so that the paint sticks to it. Mm-hmm. That's a good reminder of what it's really mm-hmm. about. Did you want to talk about uncertainty balancers or did you want to talk about one of the other ones? Sure. I guess I was still thinking about boards. We love uncertainty balancers as a personal application, but it's true. Boards and teams really can use it well. So uncertainty balancers is this idea that when we go into uncertainty, we're not saying don't comfort yourself at all. Don't have anything be certain. No way. We all need to lower the temperature when we're facing uncertainty. So uncertainty balancers is this category of things that actually even the top innovators who say, I love uncertainty, I eat it for breakfast. Even they behind the scenes have lots of things, rituals and routines that they do to instill some certainty to their kind of mad dash world. That could be, they bring their same breakfast with them every day, just so they know what they're going to be able to eat. It might be that they wear even the same outfit or have a uniform kind of, so they don't, they take down that decision-making step that sometimes causes a lot of stress. Another example in an organization setting would be one of my former executive students talked about how in their electric vehicle charging startup, every Friday, they had a period of time near the end of the day where they could talk about what had happened that week, how did it feel, share emotions, and then they would go out and get a drink together. And that was always one of the top keepers in the organization because it was this way to balance the uncertainty Mm. that they were facing in other parts of the organization. And so I think that's an interesting tool when it comes to preparing. Indeed it is. But but I also think this ritual thing is good because the level between board members are quite different. And you will realize that when you get into a crisis. It's really hard for some people to handle that. And you really need some structure around something in order to get through. I remember you were going to talk about knowing your risks. You should have talked about that. That would have been good. We still can. I think that's a perfect example of why it's so helpful if as a team, you do the riskometer, which is a tool that Nathan's mentor at Stanford, Tina Selig, came up with. And it's a place where it's like a little graph and you chart your either affinity or aversion to certain kinds of risk. And Mm -hmm. it's great to do as a priming activity for yourself because knowing, hey, wait a second, I'm actually not playing to my strength. I'm actually quite good at emotional risk, but I'm not doing enough. Or you chart maybe that you're terrified of financial risk. And all of a sudden you can start to either hedge up yourself and maybe Mm -hmm. team up with someone who maybe is not as afraid in that category. But as a board, how powerful would it be if you knew what each other was really feeling good about 
And then it takes some of the pressure off because we're not all meant to be stellar at everything. There's no way. And so it's a really great tool for teams to do, for couples to do. We like to, like you asked us at the beginning, who's good at what kind of risk? It's helpful to say, hey, thank you. And it's in a moment of awareness to Mm -hmm. acknowledge who's really good at what. And Mm -hmm. then the happy news is that you can fortify where you're feeling weak and play stronger where you might have not recognized that you actually were stronger there than you thought. So it's a great tool. Super interesting. Thank you so much for that. To get even more value out of the podcast series, Exploring Leaders, you can find everything from research reports to advice and courses at the Degotian website, which you can find at Degotian.com. What about do? I kind of understand what the word means, but what will it actually mean in terms of uncertainty? Yeah, so do is really, so we're big believers that the best way to resolve uncertainty is to take action. We can really, the mistake we sometimes make is either sitting back and trying to plan, plan, but that's not really going to reveal the uncertainty or to just do nothing. And so it's really, what do we learn from the research and innovation and entrepreneurship about the kinds of action that lead to a greater probability of a positive outcome? And one of the most perhaps obvious in retrospect, but well supported by research is the idea that when you step into the unknown, you want to take small steps. Mm. You want to break whatever it is down Mm. into a series of small experiments and then experiment your way forward. It's just Mm. like a fundamental principle of taking action in the unknown. And, And we talk a lot about what that can look like and how to do that, but taking small steps is a key. And now... There, there are other things as well that are really important. You know, as you think about as a board member, I would be really thinking about, actually I did, it's funny, I did my dissertation research on an idea which could be summarized as cognitive flexibility. Oh, wow. what it, yeah, what does that mean? It's this idea that you trust, you trust in yourself mm. or your organization enough to take action, mm. but you doubt enough so that you listen to other voices, that you're able to basically update the way you see the world Mm. as you encounter evidence that things are different than you Mm. you think. And it comes from a very, there was a very kind of famous story that kind of sparked this observation. It came from a fire, actually. It was a forest fire in 1949 in, in, in the U.S. And the U.S. had established this program where they would drop firefighters out of airplanes and they would go in and stop the fires. And they were having a lot of success with this when they dropped these firefighters one afternoon into this area of Montana called the Man Gulch. And what happened is that everybody thought we understood how to fight fires. And they actually landed out of the airplane, sat down, ate dinner and said, oh, let's make our way down to the river so that we have an escape route if things get out of hand. But then the wind picked up and it it lifted the fire up from one ridge over the ridge down and blocked their escape. And suddenly amidst all this dry grass and timber, it just starts catching rapid fire, Mm -hmm. chasing them uphill and they're running uphill. And there's this moment when the foreman does something that makes no sense to the crew. And that is, he says, drop your tools. That didn't make sense because I've been told your tools are your lifeline. And he pulls matches out of his pocket and he lights a fire in the dry grass in front of them. And they're like, hey, we've got a fire at our back. He told, why are you lighting a fire in front of us? Are you crazy? And he said, when it finishes burning, lie down in the ashes. And they're like, no way. 
I'm running. I'm, I got to get out of here. And the sad tragedy of it is that, that the whole crew kept running, except for the foreman, who lied down in what we now would call an escape fire. And he survived, but the rest of the crew were caught by this fire running at 600 feet a second, a minute, excuse me, 600 feet a minute. And it really became this kind of key insight for my field of organization theory about when do you hold on to what you know versus when do you drop your tools. Right. And that turns out to be a really important principle in uncertainty. Trust what you know enough to move forward, but be listening to the other voices. Mm. Be asking yourself, when's mm. the time to update the way I view the world? Thank you so much. And that was a touching story for many reasons. So let's go over to sustain. What is sustain? And maybe you want to take this one. Sure. Sustain is it's a crucial step because we're going to need it for sure. I think we need all of the categories, but when we face uncertainty, there's no way we're going to get everything. There's right. going to be setbacks. There's going to be even more surprises and sneaky things that happen or devastating things actually that could happen. And it's a set of tools really aimed to help you feel like you can reground yourself in why you're doing it. And maybe you figure out I need to shift. There's still some of that cognition that needs to be happening for sure there. But it's really a place of, we use three, like you said earlier, sometimes you need a framework. So we break down all the tools of the sustain into three. So one we call emotional hygiene. That would be just simply taking care of the emotions that go along with that moment when it feels like it's mm. going to fail or that you're not up to the task. Mm. The second part of sustain is reality check, which is actually a very cognitive behavioral set of tools, which is really where you, we really encourage you to take a hard and real look at what's happening. Mm. So an example of that kind of tool is either a series of frustration management frames mm. Mm. So where you're able to look at what happened if it failed and see, Hey, wait a second. I learned from this. That's mm. a reality check exercise mm. where you're not just saying the whole thing was wasted and I'm a terrible person. You're looking at no, wait, this was some good learning out of this. What can I do yeah. with this? And then the last, the third part of sustain is something that we call magic. And we don't mean for it to be silly or childish. And, but we really do want people to think about those moments of serendipity or mm -hmm. flashes of insight where we feel that something has changed and we can't take credit for it, where things came together in a way that's almost too good to be true. And that that in that involved just a whole new way of seeing what's possible. And so those three parts make up the sustained category. That's I think that this is really good. I think the reality when I just map that back to board work, and that is that most boards follow up kind of the operations, but they forget to follow up the strategy. And it's actually the long term, they just bake that into. But that means that you're not really following the innovation. You might not really following the groundbreaking things that is there. But it's also okay if it actually doesn't work because it's still just a thought. It's an interesting tool also for boards to actually think about reality for the uncertainty, not just for where you are. One of the things that I wanted to ask you guys is... What do you find being a common myth about uncertainty? Probably that I think there are too many of us that believe we just 
really should be really risk averse and careful and cautious and waiting and making sure it's not bad advice. I think parents usually pass down this real like double check, triple check, get everything in line. And, and, uh, but as far as a myth, I think that's the myth is there that Susanna's describing is mm -hmm. that it's actually morally and ethically or right to be more to have to create more certainty or it's our responsibility. But when we create things that are, when we lock everything down, so everything is certain, we actually eliminate the chance of possibility. In our personal lives, that's very true. But the same is true of organizations. And one of my great challenges working with organizations is they'll call for innovation, but then they want risk-free innovation. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, that doesn't exist because right. uncertainty is it is literally the moat that protects that yeah. opportunity from somebody else just grabbing it. Otherwise, somebody, anybody passing along would be like, oh, risk-free opportunity, I'll take that. And so this ability to, so number one, certainty is not always better. And number two, that there, that the myth is that there is possibility without uncertainty. No, there's always uncertainty. It doesn't mean right. it's wrong. How do we be smart? How do we be wise mm -hmm. about it? And how do we make room for it. Mm -hmm. And I guess the third myth I would say is that somehow we can't have uncertainty in an organization, that somehow that they like, if you have some uncertainty, then everything's out of control. We're not saying that. We're very clear that parts of the organization are going to be oriented to execute repeatedly mm -hmm. with certainty. And we want to be paying attention mm -hmm. to eliminating risk. But mm -hmm. at the same time, an organization can also say, mm -hmm. In what areas is it right. appropriate for us to embrace some uncertainty so we could create some new growth? And Talus is one of my favorite examples of this. They're, mm -hmm. They do applications for space and what we would call kind of high demand settings. So where mm -hmm. risk failure is not an option. Mm -hmm. and, and that part of the business they do are very clear and certain and careful, mm -hmm. but at the same time, they're able to recognize if we wanna create new businesses, we're going to have to embrace some risk, embrace yeah. some uncertainty, not forever, but while we're discovering, while we're doing new things. Thank you so much for that. And I also wanted to ask you, because you interviewed a lot of leaders for this book, there's a lot of stories in your book as well on that. And is there a leader or maybe even one leader for you each that you actually find inspiring that you think this is somebody we should look at? in terms of trying to tackle the uncertainty and having an interesting way of doing it. I would love to just say that the head of the school in Copenhagen, the chaos pilots. Right. I can't remember, I can't remember his last Christer. name, Christer, but because he's doing, he is leading those students in such a way that we all can take inspiration from. And ultimately it's about believing that they're going to be capable of facing it, almost believing mm. in them so much. He calls them your chaos pilots from the first day, because we do need leaders that motivate us, that believe that we can do things, but also the way he tackles with his students and encourages them is that they don't have to know all the answers going in, that they mm. can find their way there, that they can be curious and rigorous and figure stuff out, but figuring it out as you go. Mm. And I think it's so inspiring because he is able to talk. First off, he's so excited about uncertainty, but it's not in a very uh, strange or hard way to feel. He's really just mm -hmm. living it in practice all the time, but mm -hmm. really encouraging his students to be thoughtful, but also that they can find their way. 
And I mm. think that's really helpful. It's that it's not mysterious. Yeah. It's just keep going. Yeah. On to something. I think that was a super good example. If people now want to read the book, if they like to follow you, or maybe you even offer some engagement with them, how would they reach out to you and what could they expect? Yeah, we have a website called The Upside of Uncertainty. It's the same as the book title. We have a second website. They point to the same place called Uncertainty Possibility. So that idea that uncertainty and possibility are two sides of the same coin. So whichever is easier to remember, you can reach us that way. In addition, we, so we do trainings. We've done trainings with organizations to help them build their uncertainty ability, either as leaders or as teams. In addition, we are in the process of creating an asynchronous course that will allow us to scale that those tools and ideas somewhat, and then combine that with workshops and training. And then of course, on the website, we describe these tools as well. And we want people to get access to them. Our really, our hope is to help people and organizations to, to create those new possibilities. Yeah. So that's really the spirit of it. And I know the book is available at Amazon and maybe some more places as well. Yeah, most of the independent booksellers around the world have the upside of uncertainty and also Amazon. And of course, and you can also order it from the website as well if you need it. So it's all available. Thank you so much. And one of the things I like to have in the end of the conversations with my guests is I want to know that if you were a furniture, what would you be? And I have two answers this time, two different answers if possible, but maybe the same. So who wants to start? Wow, that's tricky. (laughs) Do you have an idea? Okay, I don't know if it counts as furniture, but like, I think a diving board would be really cool because it'd be interesting because what I love about a diving board is it allows you to like compress and then release the energy and get this like Mm -hmm. spring. And for me... That's at the heart of how I view being human. One of my favorite books I ever read was Goethe's Faust. And the beginning of this very famous novel, the devil teases Faust and says, you human beings, you're so pathetic. You're like a grasshopper jumping up to the heavens and falling back down to earth again. And to me, that's like such a beautiful image. Of course, we're all limited. Of course, we struggle with uncertainty. Of course, we get tired and we run out of energy. But that ability to jump up to, yeah. to dream, aspire, and try, I think is like one of our most precious capabilities. And really, I think when I'm at my best in writing, when we are writing mm. this book or in thinking about this book or in living this book, because we very mm. much tried to live it, that's what it feels like. So that's what I would say is a diving board. That's I love fantastic. that. And what about you, Susanna? That was lucky because I had a minute to think, but I realized I would be the coziest window seat ever that had the mm-hmm. cushion and pillows because- I love to read or sit by a window and I want, I would want to be that thing for people to come and just curl up with a good book or listen to music. So a place where you could dream. So it, it relates, both of these examples relate so well to both of you and, and also to the work you're doing. Thank you so much for taking time to actually do this interview. Thank and you thank so, much. so much. Thank you. It was really and, fun. And I hope that we will find a way to work together because I think that'd be super interesting. It would. It's certainly needed for many of the leaders and the boards to get some tools in their hands. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for interviewing us and Thank kind of you. spreading these tools. Well, and for pushing our thoughts too, because the yeah. boards, it's so true. Boards is a really important place because they do have a lot of 
say in how things go. They and so they, they need to learn also for themselves. The reason why I really felt this book needed to be written to the individual is because our ability starts first in our own personal experience. And if exactly. we're frantic, we can't be brilliant. We can't have our ideas come across. That is so oh. true. That is so true. And the interesting thing with board work now is that most people who are on boards, they came on because of something they did. But now they're facing all of this uncertainty. They need to start to rethink again. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when they need a lot of better tools than maybe what they have had before. Yeah. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Listening to Exploring Leaders, a podcast produced by Degotion with the ambition to inspire insightful leadership in the digital age. If you found this episode interesting, join the momentum to amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders by sharing it with others for inspiration. For any questions or recommendations on other inspiring leaders you like to listen to, contact us via our website, Degotion.com, or via social media as LinkedIn or Twitter.